Welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. You're listening to a special Citizens United at 10 Symposium episode of the show. In recognition of the 10th anniversary of the Supreme Court's Citizens United decision, we're interviewing scholars about the research on the decision and the issues that it raises. We're also taking a look forward for things to watch for over the next 10 years. We'll return next week with our regular episodes. As usual, if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app or let others know about the show too. Our next guest on the Business Scholarship Podcast, Citizens United at 10 Podcast Symposium, is Michael Roca, Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of New Mexico. We'll be discussing his recent article, The Impact of Citizens United on Large Corporations and Their Employees, which was published in the Political Research Quarterly last year. I'll include a link to the article in the show notes for today's episode. Mike, welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast. Great. Thank you for having me. Mike, uh, in the wake of Citizens United, corporate spending as a legal matter was unleashed. And so there's a question in the air, what do corporations do to take advantage of this newfound freedom that the Supreme Court allowed in the Citizens United decision? Uh, Maybe as a a little bit of a background before we jump into this more recent article, you and co-authors wrote an article in the Journal of Politics in 2015 titled The Effects of Citizens United on Corporate Spending in the 2012 Election. I wonder if you can maybe discuss some of the, the key findings of that paper, maybe how it might answer some of those questions about with this newfound freedom, what did corporations do with it in terms of their spending? Sure, I'd be happy to. And I think that that's a good place to start because that really, it it provides a really good foundation and segue into the second article about employees. So Professor Wendy Hansen, who's a colleague of mine in the Department of Political Science at University of New Mexico, along with uh, Brittany Ortiz, who at the time was a PhD candidate, we were in motivated by President Obama's 2010 State of the Union address. And at the time, it was right after the Citizens United ruling was made, or at least was made public by the Supreme Court. President Obama, this was a really fascinating moment at that State of the Union address, when he said that a century of law to open the floodgates for special interests had been unleashed by the Citizens United, and then in order for corporations and these special interests to spend without limits in our elections. And the two things that were really interesting at that moment was that it's very rare that a president explicitly calls out the Supreme Court in a State of Union address, particularly given that they're sitting in the front row right in front of them. But then immediately in response to President Obama, it seemed that that Justice Samuel Alito, who was still pretty new to the bench at that point, he appeared to respond to the president's criticism by mouthing not true. And it was a really interesting moment. And it was an interesting moment, not just because it seemed to break from some historical norms, but the open the floodgates became sort of a rallying call for those who are opposed to the Citizens United ruling. Well, the question was then, for us, was did it indeed open the floodgates to brand new types of funding? And uh, did it open the floodgates to increased expenditures? And there's little doubt that it did. I mean, this between 2008 and 2012 presidential elections, so before the ruling and after the ruling, there was a 594% increase in independent expenditures. So that was from $144 million in 2008 to $1 billion in 2012. And then it increased all the way up to $1.7 billion in the 2016 presidential election. So there's little doubt that Citizens United opened the floodgates to campaign spending in a way that we've never seen. The question, though, was this. The question was, and still is, to what extent did it open the floodgates for corporations? Is it corporations that actually have jumped at the opportunity to spend money in this new way, in this independent expenditure way, 
in ways that they were prohibited from doing prior to Citizens United. That was the motivation for our paper. And that's what got us going. And remember, the two key consequences from our perspective of Citizens United were these. Was that First of all, it allowed outside groups, most notably corporations and labor unions, uh, to spend money out of their general treasuries on elections without any limits. So prior to the ruling, corporations and unions were restricted uh, under the Taft-Harley Act of 1947 from making independent expenditures in support or opposition of federal candidates. But the second thing that it did was that it opened the door for the creation of super PACs. And those are PACs, these are political committees that are registered with the FEC that make independent expenditures to expressly support or oppose candidates to federal office, but they cannot contribute directly to federal candidates. So under these two consequences, then, the question is, to what extent do corporations use this new avenue, this new tool for influencing elections to gain advantage in, let's say, the United States Congress? Or are they just concerned through they perhaps more risk averse because they're concerned about profits and are they more likely to, to back off? That was our intuition going into the project. Our intuition is that I think we're over-exaggerating how much corporations would actually jump at this opportunity because you think about it, you know, in that summer, there's a really interesting test case. Best Buy and Target ran ads, I believe it was against a Minnesota gubernatorial candidate who was anti-gay rights and they, they got hit hard for it. I mean, they were, the response was, you know, picketers on the sidewalks. And so that sort of, they, they, I mean, the corporations, I think, learned a lesson there is that this could actually turn against and hurt their goals to maximize profits. And so our intuition was that they would actually be more risk averse and less likely to use this. And that's what we find. We find the corporations and I can, we can talk more in greater detail about the findings and our conclusions, but we find that corporations were not the ones who are driving this tremendous increase in campaign spending since Citizens United. So you found that corporations are risk averse when it comes to using their own corporate treasuries to engage in independent expenditures. And you follow up that 2015 article with the article that we're talking about today. What were some of the lingering questions that you had after the 2015 article and some of the questions that you set out to answer in this one? That's a great, great question. So, So to back up, our finding from the earlier paper were that corporations did not use their traditional political action committees any different after Citizens United than they did prior. That's one. The second thing was that only 10 corporations total contributed money to super PACs. And remember, that's, they, could always, they could always use their traditional PAC to spend money on elections and to contribute. But, but the super PACs avenue was brand new. And so only 10 corporations used money out of their general treasuries to donate to the newly formed super PACs. And not a single corporation in 2012 spent money out of their general treasury on an independent expenditure themselves. So let's say buying a television ad on behalf of Walmart. That didn't happen. Not a single corporation did that. And yet what we saw was the floodgates opening. You know, we saw a tremendous increase in in these independent expenditures amounts. So we're talking billions of dollars every single election now. And what we found was driving this was not corporations, but in fact, individuals and really wealthy individuals. 
when you have uh, individuals like Sheldon Adelson, for example, you know, the founder and CEO of Las Vegas Sands, you know, he's contributing. And just in 2018, $123 million of his own money. And Michael Bloomberg, another $96 million. And Thomas Steyer, $73 million. But these are individuals spending that much money. So what we've concluded is that Citizens United did not open the floodgates necessarily for corporations. While they certainly provided an avenue for them to do so, they, they've opted out. And yet, it's as opposed to corporations, it's actually been individuals doing it. Now, that actually then provided the segue into the second, into our second article. And, and Professor Hansen and I, what we did in that second article is we wanted to see, okay, to what extent, if corporations aren't doing this, what about their employees? So we investigated, we downloaded every single individual contribution from the 2012 election. And we pulled out all of the employees that we could, and, and they have to disclose them. So we pulled out all the employees from Fortune 500 companies. We coded for what their rank is, what their position is in that particular corporation. And then we tried to determine if they, in fact, were spending money any differently in two political activities in 2012 as they were in 2008. And once again, no difference. The only difference between 2008 and 2012, is you had a few of the wealthy CEOs contributing to super PACs in that new way. And of course, they were spending far more than rank and file were. I mean, that, and that's consistent with all sorts of resource theories of participation in political science. But the bottom line here is that aside from that brand new avenue, super PACs, and a few CEOs contributing to super PACs, overall, employees, there was very little difference between 2008 and 2012 in spending and contributing following Citizens United compared to previous to Citizens United for Fortune 500 company employees. And I should note, one thing I didn't clarify earlier was that our earlier study also investigated Fortune 500 companies. And so that was, so we took the biggest companies in the world and we, and we took a look at how they spent before and after. So maybe the conclusions that we might have from these two papers is that really the the open floodgates, as you mentioned, is being driven. It's kind of a, a right tail phenomenon where just a relatively small universe of, of individuals are writing very, very large checks. And that accounts for most of the increased activity that we see. That's absolutely correct. Yeah, there are. And it's just getting it's, you know, that right tail is getting in 2012, it was still only a handful of really wealthy individuals are doing this in 2018 there are a relatively larger number of wealthy individuals doing it and the contributions are increasing. So what we're seeing is more and more wealthy individuals contributing more and more money over time. Now, I don't know at what point we hit an equilibrium. It hasn't been hit yet. So, so and, and uh, a great resource for anybody, any of your listeners who want to go and take a look at this data is opensecrets.org. There, it's put out by Center for Responsive Politics. And it's just a great way. They provide a really intuitive way to present and investigate uh, FEC data. So camp all sorts of campaign data. And the list of the top donors to super PACs in 2012 is, I mean, the, the 100th person on this list is spending over a million dollars. Where spending over a million dollars, you couldn't get to number 21 in 2012. If that makes any sense. So it's like the, the top 20 would hit 1 million and then it would fall off. Here, you have the 99th donor, biggest, largest donor in 2018, spending over a million dollars. So, yeah, that, that tale is becoming pretty influential. You have an addendum in the paper about the 2016 election. What are some of the data that you found there? What are some of the uh, learnings from 2016 that might inform your research on the 2012 and 2008 elections? Yeah. 
That's a great, that's a great question. Uh, the 2016, the reason we added that in is because as we were finishing up the publication process, 2016 election had just happened and the data just been released. And so we did, we, we took a really quick look at the 2016 election and we found exactly the same thing. We, in that presidential election, there just wasn't much of a shift in, in behavior with employees. I will say one thing, what's interesting right now in the 2018 midterm elections, and remember that, yeah, 2018 was a midterm election. And we saw that astounding, those astounding numbers for independent expenditures. We could only expect these to increase in the 2020 presidential elections. It can be mind blowing. The interesting thing about 2018 is that now corporations are actually getting into the game a little bit, I noticed, is that there are corporations who are spending some money and donating money to super PACs, but the amounts are minuscule. And, you know, one of the most, and I'm looking at the data, in fact, I, we actually have, uh, they, Chevron Corporation is one of the most frequent users and donors to the conservative super PAC groups. And they've been actually pretty active here in New Mexico as our oil and gas industry is taking off, particularly in southern New Mexico. Chevron, we've noticed, is making, making a bunch of independent expenditures into super PAC groups who are then turning around and investing in our second congressional district. But what's interesting about the Chevron case is that they are by far the most active and they've donated $3 million. They're a $160 billion company. Sheldon Adelson alone gave $150 million in the 2018 election. Chevron gave $3 million. So while all this talk of corporations getting more and more active in super PACs is true, I mean, there, there are more. I mean, we're talking about a $50,000 contribution here or there from multi-billion dollar corporations. It's tiny. And it's nothing compared to what wealthy individuals are doing. So that's what we saw in 2018. What we saw in 2018 was just a slight uptick in corporations now using this tool, but nowhere near what wealthy individuals are doing. So in the first decade of Citizens United being in the, the U.S. reports, corporations haven't been taking advantage of the opportunities it provides as much, but maybe they're starting to wade in uh, very cautiously into that pool. How should we take these papers, how should we use these papers to think about Citizens United's impact in terms of corporate spending and politics? That's a good, that, yeah, that's a great question too, is one thing that I'm, I'm going to keep my eye on, and I think probably we should all keep our eyes on, is that in the last five years, there have been really fascinating instances of corporations actually getting involved in uh, advocacy in the political arena. And I thought, you know, at the top of my head, Colin Kaepernick and Nike, that relationship, right? You think about Dick's sporting goods and removing guns from their, or, or you know, the Delta's relationship with the NRA. These corporations were making some political stances that I don't remember corporations doing in my lifetime. And I'd be very curious to see if, in fact, you know, if they run their internal polling numbers, let's say, if that's not part of a marketing strategy. And so perhaps maybe there's maybe there's a, there's room in this political as divisive and polarized as we might be. Maybe there's some room that there for for corporations to actually win more loyal customers, you know, buy greater loyalty or perhaps spread their influence and spread their profit over in areas that they typically wouldn't by simply using a new political strategy. Whether that actually would actually coincide with political investments as far as money goes out of the general treasury. I mean, that's still, I mean, they haven't done it yet. And they, that might be a precursor, but I found those positions to be particularly interesting. And it's something that we should definitely keep our eye on, particularly as the United States Congress and some states struggle with getting policy done. 
maybe that's a way for corporations to, to stand up and say, okay, we're going to, we're going to do this. <laughs> we're going to, in the ways that we can, we're going to remove guns from the shelves, or we're going to take a stand on racial issues or racial justice or whatever the, the topic might be. Mike, are there any misconceptions or things that we should think about in terms of Citizens United a little bit differently? Yeah, I think there are. There are two come to mind almost immediately is that there's there is a common misperception or misconception out among the general public. I mean, I even see it in candidates, newsletters and volunteers coming to my door who routinely talk about corporations contributing to candidates and to parties. They still cannot do that. If they wanted to, they can contribute through their traditional path, which they've always been able to, which is limited and disclosed. But Citizens United did not and does not allow corporations to contribute from their general treasuries to candidates and to parties. If they want to spend money out of their general treasury, it has to be in this independent expenditure avenue. It has to be in this outside spending completely separate from and not coordinated with a party or candidate. The second misperception is that that Citizens United created these mysterious 501c groups. And the, the advantage for donors of a 501c group, these nonprofit groups, and they're actually regulated by the IRS, not by the FEC. So the 501c refers to an actual code in the IRS code. And the advantage for donors for 501c groups is that you can remain anonymous when you give to a 501c group. So corporations could actually contribute to a 501c group and we wouldn't know it. That actually if Citizens United had any effect on that, it's that it essentially gave credibility and legitimacy and made, you know, made it possible for corporations to contribute legally and legitimately to a 501c group. But the 501c groups have always been around. Those predate Citizens United. And the flip side of the contributing to a 501c group is at least half of what a 501c group does has to be not politically motivated can't be politics. Okay, so if you're contributing $100 million to, to a 501c group, then you could expect you know, $49 million of it to be used for politics and $51 million to be used for whatever their uh, social mission is. So those are two misperceptions, I think, in, among the general public that I sort of beat back in my classes and when I give talks around the country on this topic that uh, hopefully can firm up. What key takeaways would you offer our listeners for either this paper and the Political Research Quarterly or in the Journal Politics paper? Yeah, so I think there are there's the potential for Cities United to have some pretty tremendous political consequences. We don't have very good answers for what they might be. We don't know, for example, the extent to which super PAC spending affects congressional elections or presidential elections. I mean, it could, the whole thing could just be a wash. You know, the super PACs on the left and the super PACs on the right could just balancing each other out because they typically spend money in the same races, you know, in their typically competitive races. We don't know if it actually makes a difference to the elections yet, to the election, you know, to say to the, the final vote count. We also don't know what super PACs and what their groups might be getting as far as like legislative services from Congress. Nobody's really taking a look at that yet. You know, there's no coordination, there's no lobbying that's happening, so there's no communication. But, you know, if you're a member of Congress running for re-election and you're just getting blasted by a super PAC in your district, there's a chance that that's going to affect your position taking if you do get re-elected. So that's, that's, we have to, I'd like to get a sense for whether super PACs matter to votes and to bills that are sponsored or bills that are co-sponsored, speeches that are given or whatever it might be, or ideological extremity. Really, though, the thing that actually, the two things probably that, that are left remaining that really I'm fascinated by is, A, what does it mean that wealthy 
contributors can contribute literally as much in some cases as or, or tenfold of what political parties can do. <laughs> you know, super PACs are almost outspent political parties in 2018 by a billion dollars. And often these super PACs that we've mentioned earlier are funded by individuals. What does that mean for representation? What does that mean for the power of political parties as an umbrella group that represents a variety of interests? Yeah, the Democrats are liberal, Republicans are conservative, but these are umbrella big groups, big tent groups. Individuals are not, right? Individuals have single purposes. So what does it mean that you can give $135 million in a single election to a group that supports a cause or a candidate? What does that mean for political parties? And then the last thing would be when employees or CEOs, wealthy individuals are contributing to super PACs, are they doing so because of their own ideology? In other words, is that donation driven by their ideological predispositions or are they thinking about the profit of the organization? That's going to be a really tricky thing to figure out because we don't have a very good measure for ideology for these individuals, but it's worth asking. Our guest has been Michael Roca, Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of New Mexico. We've discussed his article, The Impact of Citizens United on Large Corporations and Their Employees, which he co-authored with his colleague, Wendy Hansen, also at the University of New Mexico. I'll include a link to the article in the show notes for this episode. Mike, thank you for joining the Business Scholarship Podcast and the Business Scholarship Podcast, Citizens United at 10 Podcast Symposium. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Scholarship Podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast or leaving a rating on your favorite podcast app, or let other people know about it too. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Until the next time, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings.